How's it guys? My name is Mark Haystack and you're listening to the Birding Life Youth Podcast. This week I had Zach Simpson on as a guest and he's been on the podcast before but back then he chatted more about his personal experience in birding and what he gets up to. Zach's from KwaZulu Natal in South Africa and currently he's first place in the Bird Lasser Challenge for his area. So yeah, I'm just holding thumbs that he sticks up there. But in this conversation that we had in this episode, we made a decision that might have caused him to start going a bit lower on the ranks for his competition in the province. And we pretty much talked about everything in this episode. So yeah, take a listen. Okay, so how's it guys? Uh, This is today's new podcast. And Zach, I'm just going to go straight into it. And even though we were supposed to do the chat now and the podcast just now, I'm just going to dive straight into it. And this is going to be a, a new approach to my podcast. I'm just going to start chatting straight away. So we're on the topic of dormice. How do we get on the topic of dormice? We're chatting about my dog that caught a rat in the kitchen just now. I think that's how we got onto it. But anyway, you're yeah, a dormice. Um, which dormice did you say you, you get in that area, you think? I think it's a woodland dormouse. Okay, cool. <laughs> no. Let me. I'm just gonna. I, I don't have a mammal guide, so I'm I'm thin on the ground. Yeah, here. me neither, unfortunately. So I'm just checking in this wildlife of South Africa book. It's got like a summary. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, it'll probably be in there. Yeah, I'll see what I can find. Okay, now I've got ground squirrel, Cape Morat, woodland. Oh, woodland dormouse. Here we go. Yeah. yeah. And then there's another species Wait, called a spectacled dormouse. Uh, I think that's a lot rarer though. Is it? I think. I'm not sure. So have you seen a dormouse before? No, I no. haven't. Only a dead one. That's oh, gee. unfortunate. How big was it? Yeah. No, it's a tiny little thing. Really? Very gee. small. And that's excluding the tail. It's got a nice little bushy tail. Yeah, I see uh, this little gray one. It's got quite a nice little bushy tail, which much, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like a bush baby. The tail's a big part of the it's side. It's a little like, yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I saw bush babies bush for my babies. first time. Sorry? Yeah. No, carry on, you carry on. Okay. I saw, my, I, I saw bush babies for my first time um, when I went to Kruger last year. And it was me and my friend walking around the, the lodge uh, gardens. And we just heard this squeak sound in the background. And we looked at each other. We're like, yeah. what the heck is that? You know, <laughs> it, was, it was my first time or second time in the low felt ever. So I didn't know what what sound bush babies made, except I, I had heard from someone that they make a, like a low pitched sound. So I, my friend and I started discussing, is that, a, what is that? A rat, a mouse, a bat, maybe a bush baby. And then we looked up in the tree with our torch and these big glowing eyes looking at us. And then just like springs 10 meters across the tree. Yeah. And it was my what, first experience species, with those things. Which one was it? The little uh, the one lesser, or the big one? Lesser Gallagher. Lesser. Or lesser bush baby. Okay. So I've seen the thick tails quite a few times. And then when I went to twist the white throat, um, myself and Wade went a little night walk around Marloth. And we also heard this very weird sound and we didn't know what it was. And we weren't using the torch. And I saw this thing and it looked like a scopsaw because I just saw the ears and then the little <laughs> thing. And we turned the light on and there this little bush baby was sitting there. And then... <laughs> Try to get photos and it went and I thought, okay, well, we'll push it towards the road and it'll sort of stop by the road and we'll get photos and won't get across the road. Well, this thing jumped right across the whole road into the trees and we kind of <laughs> really lost it. Well, it was pretty, pretty impressive. Jeez, like, impressive. yeah, that, that, I mean, Jeep is 
nature gave you quite a surprise there. It's like, psych, yeah. I'm jumping over the road. <laughs> you and that was that the lesser yeah. bush baby. Yeah, so that was a laugh for me as well. I think wow. they're a bit rarer or more overlooked. And I guess so. We we saw the great um that night as well at at the same okay. lodge. Um, yeah. Do you get Gallagher's in KZN? I've only seen the thick tails. Um, I'm not sure if you do get the lesser up in northern Zuland. You might. Uh, I I'm not too sure about these little mammals. But it's quite possible. I've, yeah, I haven't done any research and I haven't seen them myself. So. Okay. Well, speaking of cold, you sent a video to us today about walking in a marsh, okay, of freezing cold water to look for a very special species of owl. And um, yeah, no, I thought you were kind of mull, but w w tell us a bit about that. Because you went to, that was today, right? Yeah, that was today. So this morning I got up and I went to look for some African grass owls, which I found during lockdown that were, I presume they're breeding. I found five last, last year um, at a flay on a nearby farm. So this morning I went to check up if they were still around. Um, I did go have a look earlier this year and I think the water level is too high for them to be there. Um, and I, oh, I might have just missed them. But anyway, I managed to see one this morning. It was very, very cold and I didn't have shoes on. So <laughs> I, I sort of found the one and then I decided I'm going to get out of there. Both not to disturb the bird and not to disturb my feet too much. So, <laughs> yeah. but you, so you just, you literally, did you walk into the marsh? Yeah, so like this marsh, um, it's a lot of water, but not not deep water. It's all like ankle deep, and then there's some dry spots. And then you f I found the grass cells often in the drier areas, um, and I presume they've been breeding there. And you can see their little droppings and that they're quite big. Sure. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's yeah, it's pretty fun. As I said, I found five last year, maybe even a sixth. Um, but then this morning it was just very cold, so I cut out. And my little brother was on the side waiting for me to finish, and it was blowing mm. with wind. And sure. I saw the one I got off my year list, and I'm glad to see that they're still around and they're hopefully still breeding there. That's cool. Yeah, and you know, I think some people might look at that and say, "Well, first I look at it and say, what the heck? You're crazy. You went to a freezing cold marsh barefooted. I mean, you can see in this video you, you're wearing a, a a fleece jumper like I am. It's, it looks pretty yeah. cold up there as well." But I mean, you went into yeah, freezing is. cold water barefooted and you're walking yeah. in a marsh. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty cool. But yeah, yeah, some people might look at that and say, oh, you flushed the bird. That's unethical, you know, but you talked about there was yeah. a time difference since the last time you did it or something. Yeah, um, John Ray was saying that it's best to, and I'm, I've sort of have kept to this, three to three weeks to a month before you go and reflush them. And what's nice is that I don't often come to the farm, so I sort of do give it. I mean, I, last time I flushed one was over six months ago. So if I, and I generally um, go in and once I flush one, or sometimes I carry on just to get a population count, but otherwise, once I flush one, if I want to just get it for my year list or something, then I'll leave. It's, it's mm -hmm. really tricky trying to get them at night, especially it's not my property, and it's the area is um, is a, quite a built-up. Well, it's not built-up, but it's there's lots of agricultural intensity so it's um security wise you don't really want people around there you know, the i see yeah similar situation here in the garden roots with um the african grass cells that uh, have been seen here lately um we don't really want too many people coming to see it but at the same time you know there's this struggle to 
to work out how to manage this in terms of how many people come to see it, you know, who's allowed to, who's not to, it's very difficult to say, mm-hmm. no, there's some, some people who may come see the grass out here. Some people who may not, because I talked about in the Boone Life show um, a couple of weeks ago with Adam uh, and Tyron. And we, we were talking about, you know, how um, it's a different subspecies called Taito capensis capensis. So it's, it's, it's a very special species and, and variant of African grass owl. And I think it's the most Southwestern range of African grass owl. They, they have been dwindling in numbers in the garden roots over the last 10, 20 years. And people actually thought they were extinct um, in the garden route until a month or two ago when my friend, Justin, well, yeah, he's part of the, the Bird and Life Youth Ambassadors like you and I, he, he actually spotted it first. And now, you know, it's a really exciting discovery of this new population sure. or old population of African grass owls in, in uh, some reed beds in the garden route. And people, you know, we, we don't want to spread the news too fast, but we also want people to come see it because it's a really special bird. We want to promote that there's good birds in the garden roots. But at the same time, it's a struggle between spreading the, the news too much and conserving it or, and letting people know so they can also enjoy the bird. So there's a very fine line that we kind of need to find um, to manage the situation. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think with a lot of breeding birds um, that are sort of endangered and vulnerable, it's, you've got to take those precautions. I know I had the privilege of going to look for a breeding pair of Pell's Fishing Owls this holiday. Um, and I was with a guide. Um, he's a friend. He's a guide just starting off. And, yeah, he took me down this river. Um and we, we've managed to find two juveniles and an adult. But once again, we, he's also just trying to um, conserve, you know, not just let everybody go and see these birds whenever they yeah. want to. Because it's, you know, it's, it's a well-birded area, but just that specific location is not known. And it's, you know, for both the reason of looking after the species and trying to conserve that breeding location and also maybe to promote local guides who can take people there and they can understand where the birds are not to impose too much. Um, so yeah, I think there's, there is definitely some, some good in keeping the, the birds on the quiet side. I don't think people should be harsh about it. I think if, you know, people want to see birds and I think everyone's right to see pearls fishing owls if they really want to, but just the way that people do it sometimes is a little bit, you know, off board. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to see a pearls fishing owl. I mean, you know, if, if it comes to having to pay a guy to take me there, on a canoe up a secretive river. I think, you know, if, if all else fails, I definitely want to do that. But, you know, I, I want to go yeah. find it myself. That would be first option. Cause you know, yeah. it's, it's the feeling of, you know, going and seeing it yourself, finding it on your own, being the one who, who sees it, you know, that that's, that's the ultimate goal. Um, and that, that can sometimes okay. lead um, to like running into the marsh and flushing the marsh owl or the grass owl. Um, mm. which is, you know, that, that's, that, 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 that can be good. That can be bad. And if all else fails, you know, like, as you said, you hadn't been there in a while, you don't, you can't go there necessarily at night. It's, it's very hard. I mean, it's someone else's yeah. property. So you, you wanted to go see how many were left and there ended up only being one left, which is a difference since last time. Um, so yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, wanting to see a species is another aspect that that can affect birds, uh, just for the tick on the list. Because um, I mean, yeah. I want to see poles fishing owl, as I said, 
but uh, yo, I got to be patient not to not to go there um, and and look at a, a a specific I could say a specific owl that people knows in the area um, and go see that one. I don't know that might have an effect. Same with fluff tails. If you always call fluff tails out, it's like the white wings. You, you, you I mean there is no call for a white wing fluff tail, but you go to a specific fl- spots where you know people find fluff tails all the time. It's not very ethical to always play the call just to see the bird. Um, although I have to say I have done that once or twice, um, but that was a while ago. And, um, you know, since I've been chatting to more and more people, I've, I've been, uh, how can I say, I've changed my mindset a little bit about this. But, yeah, ethical birding is very, is very, what's the word, sensitive because so many different people have so many different opinions. Different opinions. Yeah. No, I think it's important to have ethics and morals in place when it comes to birding, um, specifically for these rare uh, breeding birds. But I think at the same time as birders, and we want birders, and I mean, I want to see a bird, and I want to see, be able to see a red chested flufftail. So, like a, during lockdown, I called one out and I managed to see it really nicely. And, but now it's not like I've seen it nicely. I've got the experience, I've got a couple of photographs. And now there isn't that desperate need to go out and call more fluff tails. You know, if I happen to stumble upon one, then that's all. Awesome. You know, but I've, I've seen the bird and that's great. But I think now if I were to continue to like excessively play call, you know, then I think that's where it can be a bit of an issue. I think that's where the line should be drawn, in my opinion. But yeah. Mm. No, that's a good point. Um, some people might agree, some people might not. Um, but I know that I used to, I don't know, you know, when I first got Robert's Birds, the app on my phone, it's like, oh, all these calls, look at this. I can call yeah. a, what? Maybe I'll, I'll walk into a dam today and I'll call an African pygmy goose and it'll rock up. I don't know. You know, that, that was fun. Didn't happen. Uh, but yeah, I mean, going into the forest and playing certain bird calls, hoping that something will pitch up const- and you do it constantly, that can have an effect, obviously, on the wildlife. Yeah. So I've learned not to do that now. <laughs> Um, and when I go into a forest, you know, I always, I actually end up always cupping my hands and, uh, giving an arena trogue on a call. Uh, but it's never like repetitive and constant, you know, I just give it a call, see if there's any activity in the area. If there isn't, let's move on, you know? So in that way, you kind of blend in as a part of the, the ecosystem, uh, cause you know, it's just giving a small call that's not too effective, that's not yeah. too dominating or what's the right word? Um, intrusive. Threat, intrusive or threatening. Yeah, intrusive to, to, to any other uh, birds in the area. So, I mean, that's, that's one way I would do it. You know, just give a quick call um, or call at this time of the day. If it, nothing responds in, the, in a minute, go do your atlasing around the pentad, come back later on in the day, give another call quickly and then see if the bird comes or not. And then that's your luck, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, man. Um, but how was that trip to go see the Pulse Fishing Owl? Where was that? Yeah, so I had the privilege of, and many of many Kaiser listeners will be very jealous, but I went to spent uh, about a week and a half um, on Magnoni Big, Big Five Game Reserve. Uh, well, Magnoni Private Game Reserve, it's called. Um, and then we did a little like afternoon trip to an area um, east of the Bombos. I'm not going to say it. it's around Makuzi area um, along a river there. And we 
we spent about an hour looking for these pearls. It was just incredible because we weighed the guy that, that took me. He knows he's been there a couple of times to show some people. And it was amazing because there's a sort of the same spot that they always hang around in. And we walked right past it along the river and we didn't see anything. And then we looped back around, walked, carried on walking down the river and then came back. And we walked along the path and Wade says, there, there one is. And it was quite funny because I thought, oh, he's just talking about the African goshawk again because we've been trying to get a photograph of a goshawk that's been flying just ahead of us, just ahead of us. I thought, oh, stupid goshawk again. Anyway, he said, no, pals, pals, pals. So I got really excited. And then there was this juvenile sitting like 20 meters up in the tree, in this, in this fig tree. And then we, he said, okay, well, just stand here. You watch the bird, take photographs, and then I'm going to look for the others. And he basically just stood there and he looked around and he said, there's no one. And there was another juvenile, like literally above the park, above where we had walked, like literally right there. It was probably 10 meters from me. And I'd walked straight past, past it. And, and then we walked back down into the river and carried on walking along the river and we flushed an adult. So the adult just came out. I think, um, yeah, there was an African harrier hawk flying around and it sort of went into a tree and then the pearls came flying out. And it landed in a fig tree above the river. I got one quick photo and it took off again and disappeared. So it was a really incredible experience. Um, yeah, so I've managed to photograph, um, I think it's most of the owl species of this year in KZN. So I'm really excited. I'm going to try and get them all in KZN this year. I just need Cape Eagle Owl and African Barred Owlet. And sure. I might be getting Cape Eagle Owl this weekend. So Ooh, very yeah. exciting. That's really cool. Yeah, I think, I think. Um, let's see. The only ones I could get in the garden route um, are the. Let's see, a spotty, uh, Cape Eagle owl, barn owl, African grass owl, and then there was one or two records in the Karoo near Beaufort Vest uh, by the Karoo National Park of pearl spotted owlets, and not many people have seen it. Oh. But I mean, yeah, that I think there's probably only five, um, if you push it species of owls that I could get in the garden route, um, probably in the Western Cape. But uh, yeah, no, that's a really cool array of species that you can get for your province. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so wait, how, how many how many species is that now that you could get there? Eight. Well, so it's 12 altogether. Um, oh, and then I need just the last two. So I've, I've seen 10 in Kekazadeh in this year already. So yeah, slack. That's exciting. very cool. Yeah. And you're going to... Yeah, oh. it's such a privilege though. I mean, some sure. of them are pretty difficult. And I've had mm. the privilege of seeing them. Mm. Yeah. I heard um, Cape Eagle Owl for my first time. It was a couple of months ago on our way back from the Karoo National Park, going over the Swartberg Pass, which is in the Kling, well, in the, in the Karoo. And... Um, it's actually snowing there at the moment. So it's not the Swartberg, it's the Wittberg, Wittberg uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at the moment. Um, but we heard one there. It was bl like blasting with wind. We were on the top of the pass and, my, and Josh, my friend, was like, hey, what's that? What's that? We just hear this hooting in the background. It's like, oh, wow, flip, that's a KP girl. It was my first time actually hearing it. Um, closest I've been to one. But yeah, very scarce birds um, in, in pretty much anywhere in South Africa, if you've got no reliable spot to see one, but, um, you know, you don't necessarily want to go to a spot where everyone sees one. Cause then it's like, oh, that's, that's the owl that everyone sees. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you, you're, you're possibly going on a very nice little bird excursion this weekend. Um, yeah. 
Where, where's that? <laughs> yeah, so, so um, possibly I might not, I'm really hoping to go, but I might have exams starting at the end of next week. So I'm still trying to decide, but um, possibly going to Sani Pass um, mm. and then do some lower Latini, which is like sort of lower, lower areas. Um, and then maybe do a night drive and look for freckled night drive in that area. But yeah, there's some really cool things to see there. I've never done Sony Pass, and so for Kaiser Lister, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. There's some nice things, great at um, uh, Layard's Warbler. So there's, you know, I think those are going to be two of the t- targets that have been seen there recently. Yeah, and then I'm hoping that we will be able to on Sunday morning. We're going to be going driving the low Latenia Road, and there's a there's a location for KB Gar there. Sure. So hopefully we can pick one up. Yeah, hopefully you can yeah. take that one off. Thanks for listening and remember you can check out The Birding Life on all your social media platforms and your preferred podcast players. Until next time, happy birding.